So, good morning, Robert. Good morning. I'd like to thank you on behalf of Safe Work Australia for uh, agreeing to be part of the 2016 virtual seminar series. Good to be here. So, Robert, one of the first questions I wanted to ask mm. you is, <coughs> thinking about some of the most common work health and safety challenges in Australian organisations and ones that workers face, what, what's your advice on how some of these challenges might be met? Um, <coughs> I really think that the risk and safety industry is currently, currently in a kind of a hiatus. So um, I look at the industry now and think it's that in many ways it's plagued by its own constructs, the, the things it's normalised and made culturally normal, to the exclusion of, um, I think, a number of things which a transdisciplinary approach would, could bring into the sector and help it mature. I wouldn't call the curriculum or preparation of safety people even in the, in the league of, say, uh, uh, law, education, nursing, community services, social work, so what any of those we, human services. Right, so what do we need to do to um, uh, improve the quality of the professional advice that businesses have on health and safety then, to get it closer to those oh, professionals? Well, um, I really think without a reform of the curriculum, so certificate fours, um, diplomas uh, and degrees, I think um, safety will be constantly disappointing itself because when you get out actually into the job and you're walking on site and you're doing the safety work, it's essentially a helping profession. It's, it, or it should be a helping profession. At the moment, it's a mechanical counting mm -hmm. activity. So if you talk to most safety people in the field about what they do, it's just astounding how much time is in front of a computer work, uh, in computer, doing computer work, um, uh, checking boxes, ticking off lists, reframing um, documents. Um, and, and even when you look at the training, it's remarkably mechanical, not human in what's done. So is that hence your particular interest in looking at the social psychology oh, of yeah, health absolutely. and safety and yeah. looking at a more... I have 10, 12 other people with me who are flat out being requested in organisations to come inside and put a bit of human life back into okay. what they're doing. Right. And people just do not want to be treated like objects. They do not want to be treated like numbers. And um, I guess... Uh, people are screaming out for safety to be humanised. As a leading author in the field of the social psychology of risk, mm. how does that approach complement um, the existing approaches to health and safety like engineering or human factors? At this stage, I don't see a great deal of connection between engineering systems and human factors or human factors and the social psychology of risk. I think it might come, mm -hmm. but the whole idea of a transdisciplinary approach to um, risk and safety hasn't really started yet. Mostly we keep to our disciplines. Engineering knows all about engineering. Yeah, Why should I listen okay. to a social psychologist? A lawyer knows about the law. Why should I listen to, you know... Um, uh, a, a biologist, scientist, or something. Um, so I think there's we've created these enclaves and these these little fortresses, and until 
um, there's greater transdisciplinary conversation, I think safety will remain immature and lacking sophistication um, for quite some time. Could I ask you first to um, to talk for the audience about mm. what is the social psychology of risk? Oh, okay. Um, well, the social psychology of risk has a tradition that came out of, um, uh, without being too academic, out of the Frankfurt School, the work of Habermas, and through into through things like the study of semiotics, the study of semiology. And actually for our audience who perhaps uh, aren't, well, can you just put some uh, of semiotics. those in common language Yeah, yeah. semiotics is the study of science, symbols and significance um, and uh, how socially we are um, affected by those signs and symbols. Okay, so you know. that's the application for workplaces yeah. is thinking... Yeah. Oh, there how... are hundreds of these... Um, social psychological dynamics at work which work in what we might call the collective unconscious. So we do things together collectively and unconsciously that don't involve conscious decision making that affect everything from buying a house to how we watch a football game. Or and decisions we make about or decisions what's we make safe about or risk. not. That's correct. Um, I hear all this stuff out in the safety sector, you know, safety's a choice you make, it's all about some rational decision. And I hear all this stuff and I just think, you can't be serious. And so I started looking at the assumptions behind this mechanistic, rationalistic discipline called safety and was just amazed at how naive it was in its knowledge of what makes a human being and what makes a society, what, what is an organisation. I mean, we think differently uh, just in this room, gathering round a table. We could change the way we socially make decisions together as a group here. If I put a sparkling ball, some dim lights and a bit of music in the background and we took the tables away. So you know, by changing the context, you've changed... You change the, the social arrangement. You change the associated decision-making. And, uh, you know, uh, go to a church, it changes. Go to a wedding, it changes. Go to a funeral, it changes. We're affected socially. We're social beings. And until we understand this sociality of being, we'll continue to think that human beings are some sort of behaviourist me mechanistic choice decision process that's affected by inputs and outputs, and it's far from that. How yeah. does that directly um, apply to health and safety, and how can we harness that knowledge that uh, you're referring to that groups operate? I, I, I don't think it's something that the word harness uh, is really uh, suitable for. I think it's something you more tackle. Any time you try to... Uh, understand the nature of how humans um, live and breathe and work together socially, it, it steps out of the realms of mechanistic predictability. So I would say that the discipline of risk and safety is more of a wicked problem. It's, it's more intractable, it's mm -hmm. more paradoxical because it's about humans. The moment you think you can make a human do a certain thing and act in a certain way, you're moving them from being a human into a robot. Well, good, just go make robots. If you want the freedom and the innovation and creativity which comes from being a social human being, you have to accept some of the paradoxical things that are part in the nature of that. 
So our freedom to, to uh, move in certain ways in, in our lives, which makes life worth living, doesn't match this mechanical thing that says, oh, all risk is wrong, risk is we should be risk averse and whatever. The truth of the fact is our lives are enriched by the risks we take and we all take risks every day and it makes life worth living. So social psychology would, would bring quite a different approach to the way risk and safety currently thinks, which has been commanded a great deal by traditions of engineering, science and regulation. Most of the lawyers I know don't think like safety people think they think either. Mm. Most lawyers have, have a great deal of training in critical thinking and understand dimensions of social politics. Um, I, yeah, I, as a profession, I think there's not enough transdisciplinary engagement with lawyers outside of this restrictive paradigm either. I might um, take you to how bias oh, yeah. affects decisions people make at work, including their judgments of risk. And I wondered yep. if you, for this audience, you could give some examples of some of the most important biases you see and how they might be seen in a workplace. Okay. Well, even if you jump on Wikipedia, there's over 300 cognitive biases within just that list on Wikipedia. Uh, I could affect... I'll just give you a couple. A common bias is one called affect bias. Whether you like it or not, we are, we are affected by the last thing we saw. So, for example, you know, um, all of a sudden, let's say on Saturday you buy a car and it's a, it's a red Corolla, right? The strange thing is, as you drive out of the, the showroom, all of a sudden you see all the red Corollas. And you didn't see them two days ago, but now you're seeing them. Everyone has that experience. That's called affect bias. So we, it might be that if you've experienced a risk, you then you're looking, you oh, notice yeah, yeah. it more? Oh, well, I do experiments with people who divide... Because uh, social psychology is about experiments. Most of it's learned through experiments. So we divide this room in half. We, we, we put you in two different rooms. And I might show you accidents with horse riding um, for, for, for half an hour. And we know that people die in, in horse riding accidents and it's very sad. Um... I could show another group um, horrific um, car accidents in a ranking exercise. Those who've seen the horse riding videos and accidents will now overrate the risk okay. with horse riding in comparison to driving in their car and they'll happily accept the risk of driving their car going home, except the risk of being killed in driving a car going home is much, much higher than horse riding. Mm. But we're affected by what we see and do, and it's even more so if we're collected together. So you individually are affected, but through other things like groupthink, I can actually sway your elevation or devaluation of risk simply by the presence of others. Now, that's just one bias affect. Mm. When you think about it, there are 300, yeah? Wow. So And they're unconscious. And so um, in that instance, basically, mm. say people were doing a risk assessment, they oh, yeah. might... Overestimate oh, the risk that they're or underestimate or risk. Underestimate. Absolutely. What are some of the other ones that you think are really critical um, for us in the health and safety industry to be thinking about? One of the most popular activities, which I think, I'd, if I could get rid of them, I would, is the concept of a risk matrix. It, it, it's a mechanistic process that actually stops people from thinking and it reduces conversation about risk. And everyone says, oh, you've got to have one that sits there right in the middle. And I, I shifted the colour from red to yellow and you think, wacko, the risk is now managed. Um, that in itself is a form of bias as well. 
um, uh, the, the whole concept that um, through, uh, I'm going to use the word again, through a semiotic or through a symbol or an image, you can sway the way a person works. Um, so uh, they because I've arbitrarily shifted it from a yellow to a red. Yeah, um, it affects you psychologically. I may feel more comfort than yes. actually yes. objectively I should. Yes, absolutely. And and um, so, uh, okay, another one, uh, representative bias or, or representation bias. Um, we, can, um, we can be affected by the way things are either represented to us or the way we represent them to someone else. Um, we can be affected by uh, 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 the absence of something else as well. So uh, this is not just about information, it's also about what Nortrandus calls exformation. So, um, and what's that? Well, exformation is what's not included. It, we, 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 we come in and we talk about what we see, not about what we don't see. Uh, what we hear, not about what we don't hear. And if you look very carefully through the way, the way um, uh, safety is portrayed and the language of safety, I could list now for you 100 words that are not spoken in the culture. I had a, a friend who's quite high up in a tier one building company, they're an international building company, and they actually were doing their strategic planning day like you would all do. And um, they had a fight in their strategic planning day because they were the only person in the room who wanted to include the word people in their vision statement for safety. Everyone wanted the word people left out. The word hazards were in there, the word risks were in there, but not the word people. So apparently safety, a vision for safety has nothing to do with people. Um, so exclamation and information is very important. Now heuristics and cognitive bias are actually connected greatly. Um, and, and just for their listeners, can you talk uh, about heuristics? Heuristics are unconscious kind of mental shortcuts we use. Um, they're not physical shortcuts, they're mental shortcuts. We use them all the time to make ourselves efficient. So even if you go shopping, you would probably, you would probably exercise at least half a dozen to a dozen mental shortcuts you've learned over shopping over the last 20 years. So, from, so from a safety point of view, yep. are you challenging us that we need to understand some of those to, oh. uh, uh, when people are looking at Absolutely. workplace issues yeah, that yeah, we yeah. know yeah. Uh, what might not be obvious and the shortcuts in yes. decision-making that people are making that yes. may be correct or may be incorrect? Um, yes, except I, I don't think we can draw some of these things, because I think what safety tries to do is get social psychological stuff and then pull them back into a mechanistic framework. Um, I don't know if you've interviewed David Borries at all, but, but David um, is, is, was responsible for getting the concept of heuristics into the risk management standard framework. Um, if, you, if you look at HB327, which is the handbook on how to communicate, consult about risk, Heuristics, page five, six, seven. So what I'm hearing you uh, give us is yeah. a challenge of health and safety professionals is that we need to look outside the traditional disciplines that we've yes. looked at. Yeah. But some practical tips on how can okay. we, you know, this stuff will be quite challenging for most people to understand. How can they translate some of these learnings that you're talking about in, into everyday workplace practices that would make us think about risk in a more balanced way? OK. Um... Most of what I do when I come into organisations is uh, is help them with skills, skill development. Um, 
I think we have lots of the skills which we need to exercise, but they're not exercised. So are you saying to first start with an awareness? Yes, you start with an awareness, but then I would say even to an organisation, you know what? Um, you, you have a walk-around checklist where you walk around your site. Whatever. It's great, great. But leave it in your pocket. You don't need it. All you need is an open question. So if you could, if you just ask some open questions and just start to listen to people in a simple conversation where you truly engage, you might actually get somewhere. If you so, go out with a checklist, it shapes the whole way you are. It pushes you in, in the linear way it tries to make you. So know what, what are some of, Robert, what are some of the open questions that you should oh. challenge us to ask in workplace? <laughs> if I'm a leader and you, I want to walk around my workplace and truly understand oh, what's going on. Openness, um, openness is a disposition and a mental attitude and a world view. Um, that's very scary for a lot of people because it empowers the other person. What The word that really dominates the risk and safety industry is the word control. We talk about control, the hierarchy of control, control, control. When you actually leave the security of that control and you actually value another person, you say, um, uh, Peter, uh, what are you doing today? Tell me about your work. I'm really interested. Just step me through what you're doing. Yeah? I talk about... Um, you know, we, in the safety industry, I talk about JSAs and safe work method statements. I often talk about a visual JSA, a verbal JSA and a written JSA. Yep. And I just think we're absolutely bogged down in written JSAs and have next to no idea of how to conduct a verbal or a visual JSA. Why is it that we've moved into this box? One open question. Step me through what you're going to be doing for the rest of the day. I'm all ears. And then listen. Mm-hmm. And you will hear in that listening what you think about risk, where your fears are, the kinds of things that are frustrating you at the moment. They're the things where later that accident might come from, but we're not listening for them. We get through a checklist and we say, OK, have you done your checklist? So I'm doing my checklist. Have you done your checklist? So I'm checking a checklist. So be more comfortable with open questions and yes, storytelling. Yes, that's a, just one skill. Yeah. Um, Understanding also that social arrangements affect decision making. Um, uh, And some of that becomes habituated. So, for example, um, uh, I was in a mine the other day and uh, the manager asked me if I could help him um, work through some of the issues they had in the mine. And I just hung around for a day and listened to how they spoke, what was in their language, what was not in their language. And I heard a small meeting where about 20 people discussed a a, a possible incident that could have occurred. And in a whole hour of conversation, not one person asked, what have we learnt something? What have we learnt? It was always, what can we do? What's wrong? Who to blame? How to fix it? No one asked what we can learn. I'm thinking, that's a whole hour of conversation, and yet the very question I would want to start with wasn't even asked. Mm. So, again, it's another skill. But these are human skills. These are social skills. If you really want to engage with people and connect with people in the way they see risk, in the way they manage their own safety, you've got to start listening. You've got to start empowering them. You've got to start moving away from um, very, very restricted models of what it is to be a human. 
You set us some uh, very significant challenges there, but um, the message yeah. I'm hearing is um, communicate openly oh, yeah, and storytelling. Yes. Yeah, we'll yeah. take that There's away. There's a lot we can do. Safe Work Australia members have set Safe Work Australia and, and Australia a challenge of to become better at health and safety. Thinking about some practical steps, yep. what do you think that for, we for should Safe be... For Safe Work Australia? So what can uh, Safe Work Australia do to support workplaces to improve their own health and safety? Uh, there are two things, I think. The first one is evidence-based practice is terribly important. There's a, there's a real disconnect between theory and practice. Research into um, a, a range of different things is not trickling into the safety industry yet. Uh, the ones I mentioned before um, are uh, Dr John Green, uh, Professor Sidney Decker. They're starting to have an effect. Actually, I know of a tier one building company they've had a great effect in, and they are doing some amazing practical things. So I won't advertise who that is, except if people want to contact John Green or, or Sidney Decker, I'm sure they'll find out more. There's lots on the internet about that. So the challenge you're saying is that we need to help translate empirical research and yes. theory into yeah. practical yeah. applications. It's the only way to take away the myths. I'm going to ask you, though, what are some of the myths, then, that oh, you're referring to? I mean, even the concept that causality is linear is a myth. You know, there are people learning all these incident investigation um, programs that are out there... And um, the fundamental assumption of them is that, that, that causality is linear. Um, to be honest, most of the stuff that we experience now, causality is chaotic. It's not linear. Life isn't like that. You know, back to the initial point I made about a transdisciplinary approach. There are disciplines outside of the current safety space mm -hmm. Um, that have a great deal of value to add. Um, they're not being engaged. And what are some of those, right? Well, mostly things in the social science area. So I've got to loop you back to something yeah. you said at the beginning mm. of the conversation yeah. about safety, the challenge for safety professionals yeah. is, is to move outside their own disciplines during their training. So is yeah. that a final challenge that you'd be yeah. setting us all? Yes. Um, I would, to, I would have a careful look at the curriculum and I would, I would argue for some major reforms in the curriculum. Um, to make people look at other disciplines oh, yeah. and the learnings, the evidence that Just they Just go to any bring. curriculum anywhere, risk and safety, university degree, diploma, whatever it is, and, and just do a little mathematical exercise and ask yourself how much of the time is committed to a mechanistic dis discipline rather than a social science or humanistic discipline or a humanistic focus and yet the moment a safety person leaves that training and gets out into the workforce 99% of what they do is trying to engage with people and they get frustrated because they don't know how to do it well. So it comes back to the communication. Yeah. I'm going to open it to our visitors in the room. Yeah. So Rob, bringing your psychology approach, yep. how do we get these people who you quite rightly say are in their silos. Yep. And to actually get to be open-minded and talk to each other. <laughs> and then, as you quite reasonably say, how do we draw out the strengths of all of those to something that's integrated mm. and not lose not, not lose the good things, but that's, yeah, not put lose, the other yeah, things yeah. aside? And 
you know, I really like your comment about, you know, we've got to be evidence-based and we've got to oh, look to the research. Absolutely. And I see part of the problem is these people do their research, but they only do their research in, their, in the, in the area that they're yeah. interested yeah. in. And have you got any suggestions about um, at, this, at this level of yeah. the people that are... Um, how do we develop collective coherence? How can we even begin the conversation with each other? I look a little bit below that and say, you know, we're not even talking within the industry about culture as a form of collective unconscious, which is what culture works like. We all fit within a culture. And we do a whole bunch of things which we don't even think about. It's how we belong. And then I uh, am asking, and, and I've already done this, I've looked at the collective unconscious in these various traditions and part of those things are the obstacles that stop them from talking with each other. So if your assumption is that a human being is an object or a human being is a machine, is just the sum of inputs and outputs, why would you talk to somebody who says social relationships drive decision making? Particularly when your training is so restricted. This is why I'm calling for reform in the in the curriculum of the way we teach people risk and safety. Why are, push, are we pushing these people out into the field who are so lacking in skills in human engagement, conversation and skill development in the areas? You know, why are we doing this when the very foundation of what they do when they get out is helping people in their risk and safety? They're facilitators of others' risk and safety, and yet we're not giving them the skills for it because the curriculum doesn't prepare them for it. So health and safety professionals need to be expert communicators. They need to. Well, you look at the you look at the most you look at the level of time applied to the fundamentals of communication in any qualification, and it's like five percent if you're lucky. The act, though requires 30% of the actors dedicated to communication consultation. 30% of the risk management standards dedicated to communication consultation. So I would suggest that people like Safe Work Australia should take the lead and the vision and say, you know what, let's get a transdisciplinary approach. You've got well, Yvonne in the room. I've got a project actually that's running where we're working with the engineering um, associate deans to actually yes. influence curriculum in terms of it's not about adding on an extra module health and no. safety and it's about actually critical thinking it's about yep. approaching it from a different um way mm. um but i but i found what was interesting in how you've brought this forward is talking about health and safety professionals and how they need to be more um you know developed in terms of you know lateral thinking critical mm. thinking mm. things like that which within itself is an issue because we're defining health and safety as a profession yet again. So we're almost creating another layer. It's legalised as a profession. We yeah, should I agree. Be integrating the thinking yep. throughout all the professions yes. so that it's an upskilling yeah, of all professions rather than it being, yes. unfortunately, now it's becoming this elitist sort of area where it's like this is the latest trend. Yeah, I agree. People want people to understand yep. health and safety. And yep. so companies look at professionals to come in to solve that problem. Yes, well, yes. And rather than being an yeah, integrated yeah. solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm working with an organisation at the moment trying to get rid of their uh, health and safety sector in their... Yeah. It's a big tier one company. I want to move it in with project management. Yeah. The courage to do that is unbelievable. Um, and the critical thinking required to do that is also 
high level, particularly when we actually have regulated and legislated this person called a safety advisor. So if you have an organisation with more, 20, more than 20 people, you'll have one of these people now. I guess the moment you regulate and legislate this silo, how do you undo it? So I'm just going to invite um, Pam to ask a closing just, question just and then I'll... The, the loop. Yep. Um, I, I suppose I've just got to put in a, a closing comment that uh, I agree with, with what you've been saying mm. about the need for change, mm. the need for change in the activity, if you like, yep. you know, whether it's a profession or not. There's a need for change in the way they're educated. Yes. And we also have a need for integration with the other professions. Yes. But I think I've still got to argue for there is a specialist advisory role and we need to change what that advice is and the education yep. for that advice. Yep. Yep. But I think one of the other conflicting things is that we find from when we look at people's education in occupational health and safety mm. and then they go into the workplace, mm. they're saying that they, even with what they're being educated now, mm. is that they're being pushed in to do things which they don't feel are the priority things that they should do. Absolutely. So, and whether it comes back to skilling them in being persuasive, communicative or whatever, mm. but if they say, well, we've had this training and, and mm. we should be doing these things in relation to promoting mm. safety, yeah. but we are being pushed to PPE procedures, oh, yeah. documentation, Checklist. Yeah. because that's where the company says, I want to cover my backside. Yeah. We've got, we've got a mismatch massive. at all levels. Yeah, massive. So, Couldn't agree more. So I think the call to go back to education has really got to be the... It's an urgent discussion. We've got to go back to saying, why are we pushing people out this out this way? So most work health safety training is within a health faculty at a university or health science, yeah. um, usually within health science. It's a good start, but... Um, the way I mean, health faculty is probably the best way to to get a launch into a transdisciplinary approach. You know, some of the best safety officers I know, safety advisors I know, started in the nursing profession, started in the communications profession. So, Robert, thank you very much for your time and some it's been a pleasure. of your engaging and sometimes controversial and challenging responses. Yeah. Great. Um, and for more information about Robert and the work he does, look for his bio and resources on our website. Great, thank you.